0: The Walk the Mile podcast is produced on Gadigal land. I acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which Skeg Darlinghurst stands, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and pay my respects to Elders past and present. May our reconciliation be an ongoing process of love and compassion. Hello everyone, I'm Gary Lee Lindsay, school chaplain at Skeggs Darlinghurst and you're listening to Walk the Mile, a podcast that opens up conversations that we need to have. So as Jenny said, this is a a live recording I've done 40, we've done 42 episodes of this podcast now, which is quite crazy. I didn't think we were going to get that far. There's almost 4,000 listeners, which is pretty incredible, I, I don't know, I think. And uh, so it's, it's based on a conversation, basically. I'm just a, it's a recorded conversation with others. So you're involved in that conversation tonight. At the end of our discussion, there'll be time for a bit of a Q&A, so if you've got questions... I'll come around, you can ask those questions as well. There might be times when uh, I might say something I wish I hadn't said, and I might just stop and go, I think I'll edit that. (laughs) And we'll stop and we'll just keep going uh, from wherever we stop from. But as I said, it's a conversation. I'm here just to facilitate the conversation, really. So if all of you want to keep asking each other questions, I'll just move aside and let you guys go for it. Is that okay? So what I thought I'd do is I won't introduce each person and then just get into it. I think I'll just start asking a question. And let me tell you, I know all five of these people, Poppy and Charlie at the end, Poppy Lynch, Charlie Freels, who finished in 2000 and 2015, taught them both. Deb Galanos, who is a current parent here and involved in the theatre, of course. Peter Ayers, our Head of Drama. I did say I wasn't going to introduce <laughs> everyone, but I am. And of course, Elizabeth Butcher, who's been uh, on our Skeggs board for a number of years and has, has quite a, a history in the performing arts as well. So it's great to have you all here. I think today, as I was thinking about, you know, where would we start? And you're all involved in the performing arts. And I don't want to see this as a performance, even though we're up here on the stage. What is it that draws you to the performing arts when you think about it? Not necessarily, you know, when you first started, when you were younger, but what is it now that draws you to it, to watch it, to be involved in it, to teach it as well? What sort of things draw you to it?
1: Okay. Um, first of all, I think it's, it's fantastic that we've all turned up in performers blacks (laughs) Uh, pretty much (laughs) tonight it's very formal isn't it um what what keeps taking me to the theater Gaz? I think is is just that opportunity to sort of look through um or be a voyeur to another world uh and and you know theater is a great way to to tell stories um from different perspectives to walk in someone else's shoes if you like so that's what I always get a kick out of, just going and... And actually, uh, directing or, or performing in a play myself, you take away so much, I'm sure the actors would agree, so much um, new knowledge about that world and about those people because you've been required to research to give authenticity to, to the performance or, or the direction. So um, it's a great learning opportunity.
2: I think going off um, the learning opportunity of being a performer in the work I also think that what draws you to a life as a performer is that performing as other characters and other human beings requires you to be just more aware in your everyday life of other stories, of going to music performances, of going to art galleries, of just experiencing the world with a more open, maybe vulnerable lens. Mm -hmm. So it makes your everyday life, I think, quite rich because you're always trying to find and filter for, yeah, for that experience to take on in a character or, yeah. So there's
0: something about, there's some learning about yourself as well. You're talking about being vulnerable. And so when you perform or you're involved in the arts or watching something, do you feel like you learn something about yourself each time?
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, absolutely.
1: I think you have to. You've you've got to. Good performers are vulnerable. They they expose themselves to all sorts of things. And and along the way, you can't help but but learn stuff about yourself. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I think it's walking in somebody else's shoes. Um, The empathy that that, you know, encourages in you and developing that empathy as a human being, not just as a performer, Kind of gives you skills to walk through life with, I think is, it, it's invaluable, mm. that's what I see and feel. How um, hard
0: is that to do? Because I can imagine that would be pretty taxing, not just getting up and performing for an audience, but what does it take out of you? How does it affect you?
2: I think when you're performing, you've got to be careful of of using that type of, you know, vulnerability too much. I think that's when people, unfortunately, in the arts have... I mean, especially musicians, the 27 Club and so on, have turned to, unfortunately, drugs and alcohol to cope with that vulnerability and that feeling of being too open to emotions and experiences. But I think, generally, if you're using it for good, I think it's... A wonderful thing to be more aware of other people's experiences, Mm -hmm. yeah, in
4: the world.
1: And in training, also, you're equipped with the skills to. You know, performers are doing it eight times a week, and if you're playing a a a mass murderer or an abuse victim or, or or somebody on the edge. Uh, that can be very taxing and damaging if you don't look after yourself. So, so you might go there once in rehearsal, uh, but then you have to have that emotional recall, that, mm. that, that, that memory, to enable you to to replicate that illusion uh, eight times a week.
3: Yeah, and that's skill. You learn that at the various drama schools that we've all been to. Um, and that's something that you have for life. You, know, you take that into any kind of life situation, is using those acting skills. I think it's a really important... I think drama should be compulsory, personally, but... Um, STEAM. I know. STEAM with <laughs> Steam. drama, is <that's> right.
0: <laughs> right. Now, I want to come back to what you just said, Deb, in a moment. But, Elizabeth, you're not an actor, are you? No, I'm just listening to you. <laughs> how, how are you involved in, in the theatre world? Because you're very involved in the, in the theatre world.
4: I started a long time ago. Um, The little story was that after I left Skeggs, I was here as a boarder in the late 50s, and uh, then I did a business course, and then one day I thought, I saw a little ad, and it said, Bursa Wanted. Gave a telephone number, and that was it. And I thought, oh, well, at an acting school, a Bursa, what can that do? And uh, so I rang up, um, and eventually I got the job. And uh, that started my career uh, at NIDA in uh, 1969. And I was there for nearly 40 years, I have to say, which was a long time. And I saw all these people develop. Not him, but all the ladies. (laughs) Uh, And I knew their mothers and fathers and all sorts of people. So um, I go to the theatre quite often, but not probably as often as everyone else does.
0: Yes, but you weren't—you weren't the bursar for forty-three years, were you? Uh, well,
4: I eventually was called the general manager. The
0: general manager—that's right, <laughs> which is a bit different to the bursar.
4: Well, there were only about thirty students when I went there, and uh, I see uh, Miss Maurice down there, and her daughter was a student of mine as well. So you're right. And I—do you want me to tell you a story about? I'd that?
0: love you to tell as many stories as you can.
4: <laughs> well. I remember Tara because John Clark, <coughs> the director of NIDA, was overseas visiting other theatre schools and he sent me a letter, that was long before email, that said please look out for any uh, student uh, individual productions that they might do a, a self-devised work. And so about a week later I went and had a look and there was this play. Uh, directed by Baz Luhrmann and Tara Merlis had the lead role and I wrote and I said to John oh I found something that can go to the festival in Czechoslovakia and it went to all these kids went to uh, Czechoslovakia I couldn't go we hadn't got enough money and so it won and that started the careers for all those people that were in the district mm. ballroom in those days. Wow. <laughs>
0: so you must have quite a few of those types of stories, is that right?
4: Oh, uh, yes, I have. <laughs> <laughs> but let's keep going on with that. No. That's for the book. <laughs>
0: so, what was, how did you see, we were talking just before we started the recording, how did you see your role then as the general manager? I had an idea before tonight that you were teaching, but you had a very important role, not just the administrative role, but what were you doing most of the time, do you think? What was, yeah, what was your Ask what there?
4: did I do most of
3: the time? NIDA moved from a small, still a national institution, to something very significant with Elizabeth there. It mm. wouldn't have been anything without her there. I was lucky enough to be there when she was there, and John. Um, and with Tara, um, who was in third year when I was in first year. Um, Elizabeth was instrumental in uh, funding NIDA in a way that no other institution in Australia was funded ever before. I remember hearing that we were the highest funded students of any student body in any institution in Australia under Elizabeth's wing, rule, whatever, she was amazing. She'd go down and lobby in Canberra like no one else, and no one since really has done that. Um, And we were able to get the new building because I started over in the old buildings that Mrs. Maurice will remember over in um, New New South Wales Uni in the the huts there with the old tote and everything. And then we moved over to that big building was very expensive to build. And Elizabeth was very instrumental in getting all that sorted and I remember in second year when we first arrived at the new building in 1988 um, it was the bicentennial year and I think that wasn't a coincidence I think that was planned so often we would perform for dignitaries that had come through the school we had a we performed for the Queen we had you know someone from a dignitary from China we had people coming through all the time and we were doing performances and through that we learnt how to quickly be able to, you know, get a show up fast, make decisions and be able to produce something.
1: Can I also add? Yes. Elizabeth was tasked by the RAND government to find a new location for a state theatre company and it was Elizabeth who found The Wharf, uh, which is now the Sydney Theatre Company down in, in Walsh Bay. So that's a great story too. Thank
0: you. That would have been a massive job.
4: Yes, well the the difficult thing in finding a space for a new theatre company is that you wanted one that was as big as the stage and the stage at that time was a drama theatre which is not a very good theatre to uh, uh, act or to sit in or do it, so it had to be the size of the drama theatre and it had to be what is known as a pillarless space couldn't have a pillar because you can't act around a pillar. So I was forever being shown empty government buildings, but I'd say, no, they've got pillars. <laughs> <laughs> I would turn down. And, and then one day this man I rang up uh, on behalf of the Premier and uh, he, he was from the Maritime Services Board and he said, OK, come in and I'll show you what I've got. And he took me down to that wharf and it only had pigeons in it. No pillars. Wow. And uh, so I went back to the government and I said, I've found it, and that was how it began. Down wow, there.
0: Yeah. that's great. Good on you. Now, Charlie, you're in a production at the moment, or well, preparing for a production at the Sydney Theatre Company. At the <laughs> Wharf. At the at Wharf.
5: And I love that theatre so much. <laughs> it's so beautiful. It's one of the best views yes, in Sydney. Did, yeah.
0: did you go... Do you remember going to... I mean, I'm sure you did go and watch plays there as you were growing up?
5: Yeah, I, I remember seeing so many plays there growing up, and I always loved the Wharf, I think, the most. I think, well, now the Ros-Packer Theatre, it feels huge. I've never yeah. performed there, but sitting in that audience, it's, I think it's tough to get that intimacy, but that's what I love about the Wharf Theatre, is that you can really feel the audience and the performers, it's beautiful.
0: And what's it like to be on that stage now to, you know, watching all these different plays throughout your life and now you've got the opportunity to be there?
5: so weird. (laughs) Can't think about it too much. (laughs) We haven't opened yet. Right. Um, But it's it's funny because you think it's going to be, well, I thought it would be a lot scarier than it was, but I think if you're with the right people and you know what you're doing it's actually it's kind of more of a natural step than you might think you know I mean if you just like got up there with no preparation it would be a bit more jarring but I think yeah if it's not as insane I think it's and it's nice because you're like oh Mm.
0: it's
5: it's not that scary. (laughs) That's good.
0: So in terms of the, the right people around you as an actor, what does that support mean? Like, what does that look like for you as, as someone on the stage, having the right people around you?
5: I think just, like, kindness and... I mean, that's what I always want. It's just, like, kindness, friendship. I love making friends. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. I don't know, I guess, I mean, taking it seriously, but not in a way that's going to add any pressure, I guess. Yeah, sure. Yeah. You want it to be
0: a good experience, the whole thing being a
1: good experience.
5: Yeah, and like a collaboration. Yeah, sure. Like, it sh- and it should be fun as well.
1: Yep. It's a, it's a team sport. You rely on every other player on the stage to support you and catch what you're going to, to throw to them. And if I could just do a segue, one of my first plays, uh, when I graduated from WAPA, was uh, a tour of um, a play, Oscar Wilde's play, An Ideal Husband. And I was in that play with Poppy's mum, Penny Cook, the wonderful Penny Cook. And um, it was during that production that, that Penny um, fell pregnant. So I've acti- actually acted with Poppy when she was a fetus. <laughs> uh, so, do you, you remember that, Pop? Do you remember it? <laughs> Do you remember that?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, Peter taught me all I knew through the womb. Um,
1: yeah, so I, I think well, that... The... And, and, and this industry is full of those wonderful connections and uh, across generations yeah. and and um, and working with people.
2: And speaking of, you know, the team effort of it and putting your trust in people, Mum hadn't told anyone, including her own mother until about, I think a month before I was born, that obviously I was tiny, that um, she was pregnant apart from the costume designer of that show who had to keep taking the costumes out slightly each week. Um, So there was a lot of trust and faith put in that costume designer,
0: yeah. (laughs) There you go. What about, Deb, before you were talking about um, learning certain skills in acting. Well, let let me start with you two first when you're at school because you did, both did drama at school, I'm guessing?
5: Yes. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: What sort of things do you think you learnt when you're at school about drama compared to maybe what you've learnt later on, being involved in drama outside of school?
5: Take it away, Poppy. <laughs> Um
2: I think that I can't really answer this question because I didn't know I wanted to be an actor, to be honest. I think I'd pushed it aside. I think that I had a fear of becoming an actor because I think it's quite a challenging industry and I still think it is Mm -hmm. to be a part of. So at school, I probably wasn't open to thinking of it as more of that career. But what I did learn is that when I did productions, more so than maybe the um, classroom setting, that those are the memories that have stayed with me for, I mean, no, it's only been eight years, but I think they will continue to stay with me because of that teamwork and that, yeah, that vulnerability that we were talking about that you have to have to put on a production. Mm -hmm. So I think they were the most real experiences I had at school in terms of my connections
5: with people. Yeah, you've just made me think. I think actually the same for me, because I think it's so different to like a a drama school or something, doing drama at school. There's not really any pressure, because it's just for fun. And I think, yeah, the experiences were so free, I guess, much more so when you're at like a drama school and you're being, well, I guess you are marked in high school, but it's kind of different. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, it's. I would love to be able to like go back in time and do some of those things again because it's just a. It's just like a. You're just doing it for fun.
0: Yeah, right. Is it, it is it strange? Is it strange, in you know, at Whopper or Nida or at school? Is it strange to be marked on your performance as an actor?
2: Yes, it's awful it's so it's so subjective so i mean it's awful if you don't have the right mentors if you have mentors who are telling you kind of why they've given you certain marks and what they see you um you know your potential being or what they see you doing it's easier but yeah if it's just a clear-cut you know i once i failed a production at wapa it's okay if you fail i completely failed it product How can you fail a production? I got up, I did all the lines correctly, but apparently it was not good Chekhov. So anyway, (laughs) yeah.
5: (laughs) I think I failed um, puppetry. (laughs) (laughs) Like whatever, (laughs) but I did.
0: What about your experience, Pete?
5: Well, I I
1: think uh, because performance, you know, and it's something we try Oh, we don't try, we actually do with the students here, starting in Year 9, and, and just prepare them that you are going to be assessed, And because uh, the work is often the practical work, your body, your voice is the vessel through which you present that work. It's not a piece of paper that you can divorce yourself from in an essay, you know. You get some marks back in, in a maths test or an English test and you don't do so well, oh, well, I'll do better next time. But if you get a mark less than what you would like for a performance prac or something, that can hurt a little bit because you think, well, you're judging the person, but yeah, no, we're right. judging the work. So it is, it is a, a psychological game as, as an actor to retain that sense of it's, it's the work, it's not me. It's like when you go to an audition, you know, you mm. can, when you're a young actor, you invest so much um, passion and want and desire into that audition and getting that audition, and if you don't get it, it's, it's the end of the world until you build up the skills of how to audition. You go, you do it, you walk out the door, you forget about it. If you hear something else, it's, it's a lovely bonus. Um, but you can't live like that, can you? There's all sorts of mechanisms that you have to develop uh, to protect yourself through uh, an occupation which requires you to be vulnerable a lot of the time.
0: Yeah.
3: Yeah, there's about, what is it, 98% unemployment at any given time in our industry. And that means, that's a lot, obviously. But it's also between gigs, so Charlotte's about to do oil, but right now...
5: Technically unemployed. She's
3: unemployed. I'm about to start a show at the Opera House, but technically right now, I'm unemployed. I start on Friday. But right now, I'm not employed, so it happens all the time. And it's sort of gig to gig. You don't know. It's true what they say about actors, that you feel like you're only as good as your last gig, and every gig yeah. you do, you think that's going to be the last one. You don't know if there's going to be another one at the end of that. So, um, But it teaches you resilience in a huge way because yeah, right. of that. You get so many you know, rejections over and over again for auditions.
0: Yeah, I don't think I could stand it. I feel like going for a job interview all the time and...
3: That's, That's why I'm exactly still here right. after
0: 21 years, because I couldn't be bothered going through a job interview. <laughs> but um, I don't want to be rejected. But I, I think, yeah, how, as you say, Deb, you learnt that resilience. And, was, and is that just through experience, or is there something you have to do in order to learn that?
2: I don't think you do learn it either. <laughs> At the same time, I think every week, every day, every month, every year is a different... You, you might be feeling differently about it. I know I, Mr. Ayers knows, because I, I work with him at Skeggs um, on my off times, but also this year it's been for the entire year, because it's been not so busy with acting. But I'll go through, you know, a, a day where I'm feeling like, oh, maybe I'll never work again. And that's the, you know, the actor in you, where you're like, oh my gosh. But, you know, it, you just have to because yeah, you love sure. it and you and you want it. Yeah. And when you stop wanting it, then that's the time to I think move on to something else.
0: Sure. Yeah. To Keep going.
1: A hu- yes. A hunger. A, a hunger, hunger. hunger, hunger, hunger for everything else. May I ask a question, Gary? Yeah, of I know it's your podcast. But no, obviously. no. Uh, <laughs> Look, <laughs> I'm happy for just of you the guys actors. Um, your parents, uh, some of your parents are actors and some not, were they encouraging of you going into this industry? And also, did they ever uh, advise you to get something to fall back on?
5: Oh my god, my mum still is like, architecture, marine biology. <laughs> I'm like, Yeah, I, stupidly, because last year I decided I would be a zoologist, because I was just sick of it. Um, so I was like, that's fine, I'm going to be a zookeeper. And then I got a job that lasted like eight months. But still, even though I'm about to do a job, she's like, do you want to go to the zoo? So (laughs) she's always like, come on, something else. My dad, on the other hand, he's much more whimsical. So he's like, no, Charlotte, you must, you must act. (laughs) But I don't know, if I had kids, I think I would probably try and implant something else. Just because, you know, you love your kids. You. There's a lot of, like, tumultuous times. So, yeah, I try and shield them, maybe.
2: Yeah. My parents, I think they never thought I would be, so they didn't really talk about it. Then I got, sorry, Charlotte, I came first in drama here, and I came first in music, and they were like, oh. Like, I don't think they had, they'd barely been to any of my shows. I don't think they even, I think they were like, oh, hold up. Okay, and then I started doing independent theatre. So that's a really great way to meet people. There are some amazing, I know Deb did an indie show last year. There's some great actors and directors working in independent theatre. So I did some of them and they realised if you're going to put in that work for free and you obviously, you only do that for the passion, then they started to encourage that journey, I think. I think I needed to prove, and you're probably the same, that you actually first could do it, and that you wanted to do it, and then they were encouraging.
0: Right. Just that question of could do it. Elizabeth, did you see people, you know, you would have seen thousands of people come through NIDA, where there's some people who you just saw and you thought, yeah, they've got it. Because I was going to ask, again, I haven't got to Deb's question yet, I was going to ask about how do you teach someone to act? Like, can, like, you know, can this non get up and go, hey, I want to learn how to act, and you can teach me how to do it, or do you no, to have No, I don't have think that'd work. <laughs> Thank you.
4: <laughs> I think you have to have it within you. Right. You have to have it within you. But it's just one thing that I wanted to say is for any parents who, or young Skiggs girls here, that there are other things to do in the theatre where you can have a passion, other than being an actor. You know, you can be a theatre designer, you can be a technical person, you can do the lights, you can do the sound, you can do all sorts of things and have a great life. You can be an administrator or a general manager in the theatre and really have a a wonderful life, supporting the actors, understanding the actors and what their life's all about. But you don't have to be an actor, no. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, it's interesting you're saying that just as you were talking and the connections. You know, it seems like there is a strong community yes. within the theatre acting world. Is that correct?
4: Yeah, that's correct. Yes. Yeah, definitely. We're like
3: a, a family. When um, recently, when some of our colleagues passed away, the, um, the memorials that we had were extraordinary. It just, I don't think I've been to funerals like that in the greater community, but the acting community, the, the industry itself is like a big family, and I think um, because we always feel like the underdog, we're not ever paid mm. enough. We, we're always scrambling and, and screaming for funding. Um, we do a lot of independent work, which means that we work for free, or we work for the box office profit, which often gets to pay all the bills first and then the, the creatives second. So we often don't get any, any money. Um, and so that sort of binds us together. Uh, you know, we may be competitive as artists, but when, when the chips are down, everyone's there for each other, it really feels very much like a family, don't you think?
0: Yeah. Well, I've not, my son's getting into acting, and it's, it's been interesting watching him and the communities he's built. And it's interesting you say about the competitiveness, because I've, I see his friends and the people he's with. They're always so encouraging.
3: Yeah.
0: You know, they're going to auditions together and, yeah, it doesn't seem that way, but maybe maybe I it is. I
2: think um, it's not pulling down competitiveness, but it's actually that competitive competitiveness, it's bad articulation, probably why I failed Chekhov, but that <laughs> makes you have that drive. Like, right. it's a competitive drive within yourself. I don't think...
0: It's not I, about I, bringing I, others down, as yeah. you said. Yeah right so how do you teach someone you you're a teacher uncle pete <laughs> how do you teach someone to act elizabeth said no they just got to have it let's say you get a student come in they're doing drama they don't have it
1: what do you do with them for the next four years <laughs> you work on um, look I, I think elizabeth is, is certainly correct in that that uh, you can either have that skill or it will take a lot of work to, to develop that skill. Um, I think an actor's um, worth or ability is as broad as their their, their palette, um, their life experience, you know, what they've uh, experienced in life. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, as you get older, you should effectively become a better actor. Uh, but but to teach a student, I think you would, you won't, well, I think, you. I know you work on the various components, the voice, the movement, uh, the knowledge of repertoire, um, articulation, uh, all of those little things which come together to create the whole, I think. So it's just like, again, if you want the sporting analogy, somebody teaching them to become a great soccer player, you work on ball skills and, and manoeuvring the ball. I don't, I, don't know, I don't hate sports, so I don't know. it's a silly analogy to use, but you know what I mean if you're a sports fan. Um, yeah, that sort of thing.
0: Right. Thanks. So, in terms of in terms of uh, teaching someone to act, in terms of someone you know growing in the, as you say, as you get older, you become a better actor. How do you how do you gauge that then? How do you gauge someone is getting there? Just because someone because you know we all have different tastes. Someone might say this actor I love this actor, someone else says I can't stand them. How do you gauge that? Can you gauge it?
1: Well, it is, it's all very subjective. I'm I'm sure we know lots of people, lots of colleagues who are mediocre talent, who have great success. They're getting work all the time. And I have lots of friends who are great, great actors who never get a gig. So this industry is often about Um, it's a lottery isn't it it's about you. you know your numbers coming up being in the right place at the right time working with somebody who then leads to another working relationship and we find directors who use the same actors all the time Mm. Uh, and if you're not one of those actors, it seems very unfair, but if you are one of those actors, it's great. And I understand why, because, because those directors have a shorthand with those actors, they know that they can work with them, they know they're going to up, not going to upset the company, so they keep going back to them again and again and again. Um, yeah, you, you obviously find that, you would think?
3: All the time. There's a, there's a, a little club in each pocket of the industry, I guess. Um, And sometimes those doors feel closed, but, you know, sometimes if you're not hard enough or long enough, they'll open for you. And doing independent work helps a lot because you're creating your own work with often new artists, new writers, new actors, new designers. Um, And you're encouraging that creativity where it hasn't been encouraged before and you're part of that growth. Mm -hmm. And often that leads to other things. Um, A lot of new writers and and actors and directors have have gone on to have fantastic careers um, and started from very small, you know, um, outlying sort of independent kind of productions and and work. So I I love doing that. I love working with new writers. I do that a lot. Um, I love helping them, you know, realise their, their vision and I might do that in a short film or something, and I think we would have all done that. And that's very, I love that because it's very exciting. Um, Sometimes if you're in a production that's in a big theatre company, sometimes it's a little bit um, disheartening, I guess, because sometimes there's less creativity with the the big companies. You can tend to create something from nothing with the smaller companies, which I love doing. What do you think about that, is that true? uh yeah no
5: especially in like commercial theater yeah it's a whole different thing it's like a different beast and you kind of just have to i mean yeah you just use you're just serving what the play is and there is very little room there's little wiggle room so yeah it's i think it's so important if you're a creative person to have yeah outlets where you can do what you want to do and collaborate and create because otherwise you do get a bit um, creatively fatigued maybe. Hmm.
0: <laughs> so would you say then the foundation of what you do is more about your creativity, it's not just being on the stage and taking on a role. I was saying to Charlie before we started that I've still got one of her paintings up on my wall in, in the office. She didn't think it was very good but it's, it's lovely. So that's something she's created, got nothing to do with acting. How much is it about your creative spirit that you want to express rather than just being in a production?
3: There's a lot of actors that are artists, as in fine art artists, there's Liam Noonan and so many, so many people I know that do art as well as act. And I don't know if that's a coincidence or just part of the creative spirit that they have. That they have that they need to, you know, express.
1: I, I spoke to, in my podcast stages with Peter Ayers, available Apple Podcasts <laughs> and uh, Spotify. It's it's I run, spoke... one awards, not it? <laughs> too, yes, <Uncle> well, <laughs> well, one um, I spoke to a lot of actors during uh, the COVID COVID time also, and it was really interesting. Uh, they, and you, you guys would have been the same. They experienced immense immense frustration and and depression that they couldn't express themselves mm. in, 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 in the way that they were used to. So I also found interesting that a lot of actors have another creative bent. Um, Reg Livermore is a fantastic cook. You know, right. and he's always in the kitchen. Yeah. Um, other um, actors who love their garden and have the most manicured, beautiful garden because that's a way, or painting, yes, absolutely. That's a way of, of expressing themselves when they don't have that outlet of doing it on the stage.